Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, delegating to the floor. Here we go. Mark, what do you do when you're a frontline manager and you get more work to do? Oh, you whine and complain. I think. <laughs> I, t- I tried that. It didn't work very well. I just did a quick survey of 100 guys I know that are frontline managers, and what they do is complain. <laughs> oh, actually, no. I'm sorry. They used to whine and complain. Now they brag, and they say, I'm totally swamped at work. Oh, totally, totally swamped. swamped. I totally swamped. You know, I really am swamped. I'm swamped. Yeah, it's said with a shake of a head and a funny voice, like, yeah, I'm swamped. I'm, I'm important. I'm going to be CEO someday. I'm practicing to be CEO now because I'm swamped. I can't, you know, I, I can't even breathe. It's so bad. <laughs> Can you imagine the CEO that just that's that's the response? They just they just take it all upon themselves and just ah, I'm swamped. Too much to do. Yeah. I guess, I guess we're not gonna get that product out this 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 quarter. Yeah, I can't trust anybody working for me. I gotta do it all myself here. One man band. I'll just I'll just postpone that meeting with the analysts. They won't care. Yeah. <laughs> we can imagine if a bunch of analysts, imagine if you met with a bunch of investors at the Waldorf in New York and you're CEO of a Fortune 100 company and you say, I literally don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. I, I got to make the product. I sell the product. I just can't, you know. I just can't do it. I don't know. I'm just I'm one guy. I'm just one. I'm not confident at all. What can I do? One guy. One guy. Yeah. One against the masses. Yeah. So, that, of course, that's not what they do, right? The, the effective executives and smart managers, kind of like the folks listening to the show, what they do is they delegate to their directs, right? Yeah, you'd like to. That's what we want. That's what effective people do. It's not common. Um, the common answer is to whine and to brag. And it makes no sense to want to be a manager. And then the once you get there, the moment you have too much work to do to whine and to brag, you have to imagine that after hundreds of I'd like to say thousands, but really you can't. Uh, I, I suppose you could say maybe a thousand years of management. There ought to have been somebody who thought about, okay, what do I do if I'm a frontline manager and I've got more work to do than I know what to do? The answer can't be literally to whine and to brag. That's right. Okay, so the answer is delegate, but let me push you a little bit here. Right. Because in a lot of organizations, I don't know many managers say, yeah, I'm really busy, eh, but my folks, they're, they're not very busy, right? And if you have, if you're a director, <laughs> you have managers working for you, those managers are busy. And those managers, directs working for those managers are busy. So everybody's busy. So what do they do when you give them more, right? They're already fully busy. Yeah. When I hear this argument, it's amazing to me that any company in the history of mankind has ever come out with a new product or service. I mean, I literally can't imagine that before iPods and Mac, MacBook Airs and iPads came out, and the iPhone for that matter, I can't imagine that everybody at Apple said, we're too busy here. No new products. Can't do it. No way. Well, and you can't imagine that they weren't busy either, right? They had product existing product lines. That, yeah, you know, they, exactly. So they, they were busy. busy. They still did it. Yeah. And the answer is, what do your directs do when you give them more to do? Only they're already fully busy. And of course, busyness is the problem, which we'll talk about in a minute. And the answer is they delegate too. They delegate some of their work to the floor. To the floor, meaning it just, you just drop. Yeah. It just doesn't get done. It just doesn't get done. Oh. Yeah. I mean, look, nobody who's listening to this can argue that, well, we can't tell people not to get work done because there's not one of uh, people listening to the show right now who who, say, who could actually say, I get all my work done every day. They literally go home every day with work undone. So apparently, it's just a question of what work that's going to be undone. 
well, let's be smart about it. I'm glad you said that because I, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one. Yeah, that's 500 right. items yeah. in my to-do list. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, Mike. You, you know, you just, you don't know. Everybody else gets their work done. It's only you. I know. I've been carrying you as my partner for a while. It's <laughs> only you that doesn't get all your work done. I leave my work every night and my desk is clean. Every single email is answered. Every to-do is done. I'm. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Truly amazing. Uh, almost unbelievable. It's so un- amazing, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. <laughs> Actually, it is unbelievable. Okay, so they delegate to the floor. So how do they do it? Yeah, how do you do it? The first thing you got to learn is you don't not delegate. And the reason we put that first, a double negative, don't not, do not not delegate, is because we understand there's a legitimate reason why you wouldn't delegate. And we want to walk you through, help you understand where that may be, that what your present thinking in may not, is may not be helpful to you. We just want to explain where you could see that differently. Five years ago, I would have said, we're going to explain why you're just dead wrong. But no, we're going to just explain to you how to see it differently. <laughs> the kinder, gentler mark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to ask our direct to prioritize their work. When we give them more to do than they already have, and by definition, they're already busy, we're going to ask them to take a look at their, their work priorities and, and list them for us. And then in addition to that, once they're done prioritizing, we're going to ask them to make a recommendation about what won't get done. The key point here is points three and four. The third point is ask for a recommendation. The fourth point is, folks, you make the decision yourself, okay? And once you make the decision, then you tell them, if there are questions out there, you direct those questions toward me because I made the decision. I'm not going to leave you on the hook for my decision. Right. Questions that come from questions that come from other people as a result of them not. Yeah. Somebody says, why aren't you doing this or that or the other thing? Yeah. Go see my boss. Yeah. Go see my boss because we talked about it and he said, I shouldn't do this anymore. And- then the last point we want to make is sort of tongue in cheek, but we bet you won't get any questions ever about why somebody stopped doing the work that they're doing. Yeah. Proving that it's a false sense of busyness that everybody has. Good. Okay. So let's talk about the double negative. Don't not delegate. I mean, one of the biggest feelings yeah. in newer managers is to misunderstand what their directs mean when they try to give them more work and the direct says, I'm busy. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of the manager when they hear that. Yeah. In fact, dude, this was the first experience I had as a consultant 20 plus years ago when I had an aha moment, a personal epiphany, professional epiphany for me, when I was listening to this manager say, Mark, that won't work because my directs are always telling me they're busy. And I said, well, when do you tell your boss that you're busy? And he said, (laughs) well... Oh, I, I would never do that. If my boss is telling me I got to do something, I'll figure it out. And I said, well, why then, if you would never do it, why then do you just accept that all of your directs do it all the time to you? I mean, it'd be one thing if you were 60% and they were 40%. That'd be fine. But always and never at one level difference in the organization, this cannot be. There's no way that one job can have that much organizational friction attached to it that you accept everything your boss gets, but your directs won't take anything you give them. Or there's no way that you as a manager are that much better than your directs, right? You're all. Oh, that's yeah, that's old. So, right? You're absolutely right. There's the, for a good portion of those folks, they're implying that I'm a professional and they're not. My directs are not because they haven't learned that they're not supposed to say no. But actually, I'll tell you the far bigger percentage, and this is for frontline managers now, okay? But but this fundamental principle, of course, this all falls out of our delegation koan podcast, the juggling koan, where we said, how do you juggle all the balls when they give you one more ball to juggle? And it's called the delegation cascade. And 
delegating to the floor is the last step in the delegation cascade. And uh, this is true for every level. If you're behaving one way and your directs are behaving very differently, there's going to be friction for you. But frankly, I believe the single biggest reason is because managers are fearful privately. I'm not saying they go around scared to death all the time, but the majority of managers I know are fearful that they're doing it wrong, that their boss is doing it right. They look up and they give the boss special credit for knowledge she doesn't have. And they assume that if their boss is giving them something, that boss has thought about it. But when they give things to their directs, they don't assume their directs think the same thing they do. They assume that they're wrong in giving stuff away. And part of that comes from going into the role and understanding more that you not only do you have role power, but if you work on your relationship, more of your directs will say yes more often. And of course, we've got a delegation model, part of the Trinity, which this cast relates to, obviously, which makes it virtually a certainty that they'll say yes, because we're persuading them rather than telling them. But I think for a large part of them, directs get away with saying no, because managers don't believe in themselves. And part of this cast is to give you the words and give you the process so you can start believing in yourself and to try this two or three times and discover nothing bad happens and you prefer the outcome of this rather than what you did before, which was frankly probably misery. And so you're hopefully your own experience will tell you, I don't care whether Manager Jules recommends this or not, I'm doing it because it makes sense. And one of you will write me an email and say, you're not going to believe it. It works. <laughs> and we're always, say, yeah, always we, we actually do. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And look, folks, let's be clear. Someone being busy. And in fact, when I wrote this the day, I was like, okay, this is important. Someone being busy is not the same thing as someone being incapable of doing more work. I'm going to say that again. Someone being busy in your organization is not the same thing as someone being incapable of doing more work. I wish we could enshrine this somewhere as the manager tools corollary to Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law, of course, says that work expands to fill the time allotted to do it. It's why so many of us get so much done on the afternoon before we go on vacation because we know we have to get it done and because our spouses won't let us work on vacation, Right. With our corollary, you can see if work expands to fill the time allotted to do it, work can easily contract to fill the time allotted to it if the time allotted to it is less. Okay? Now, look, folks, all we're doing here is suggesting that if a direct can do their work to a given quality standard in, say, 50 hours in a given week, they can conceivably do that same work in 45 hours. Now, you might say, oh, they couldn't do that tomorrow. Well, maybe not. But if I told them, look, you got to figure out how to do 50 hours of work in 45, that would be a reasonable thing for me to ask. And the vast majority of people I know would figure out ways to do it. There'd be a small percentage who didn't. And those are the people who you'd start talking to about their team performance and their team attitude and whether or not they're a professional. And maybe if they never change, you'd get rid of them. But we're only asking about five hours shaved off of a whole week of work. It's 10%. Now, 10% might cause some of you to pause because 10% improvement is not trivial by any stretch. But we would suggest to you that 10% improvement in time standards is actually pretty easy. We'd suggest that virtually everything your directs do, they could do it in 10% less time, each item in 10% less time if they were rushed. Again, you've done it before you went on vacation. Yeah. I absolutely believe that, dude. I mean, just, just imagine every one of your directs being 10% more productive and what that would do to the productivity of your team. Holy moly. 
And it is absolutely possible. I've seen it so many times. And it's just by the manager asking folks to do more. I'm afraid to say this, but I'm going to put it out there as, a, as, a, as an opportunity, as a, a big, hairy, audacious goal, a BHAG for some of you. Folks, I believe most of the work that most of your directs can be, are doing now, it's going to irritate some of you, but there's another part of you. There's, there's a group of you out there who are listening who will go, yeah, he's probably right. And I'm telling you that most of your directs, for some of you, most of your directs work can be done in 50% of the time that they're doing with it now. I really do believe that, 50%. Look, I'll give you an example. Look, it's, it's not a fair example at all, guys. It's a totally personal anecdote. We try to stay away from personal anecdotes because we don't, we don't want manager tools to be us extrapolating from our own experience. It's not. It's based on our work in consulting with large organizations and what works and what doesn't work and what we have data on and so on. But I'll give you a perfect example. When I started writing podcasts, I had to write one a week. And by the way, you were writing one a week and you were swamped, right? You were still busting your butt yeah. every single I gotta day write about, yeah. during the weekend, et cetera. Yeah. And it was three or four hours writing a, a show notes every single week. Okay. Um, and show notes have gone through seven different versions, several different versions, trying to get them into the present form they are now. I'm sure every time I've gotten them into a version that I like, I'm like, that ah, won't change. But now the one I've got, I'm thinking it won't change. But everything I know says intellectually, I know it's going to change. Emotionally, I'm like, no, no, it's not going to change. It's fine. We've got something really good. But anyway, a few years ago, we realized that we had been writing both management casts and career casts. And really, there was no way we were going to get through all of the stuff that I had in my head in my lifetime or even in another lifetime after that when somebody else took over and ran the company after Mike and I are gone. Well, the moment I know that, the solution, of course, is do more podcasts in any given period of time. And the, the, the breaking point was every one day a week or one cast a week. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't know if I can do it. But then the economic crisis hit in 2008. And we both talked about it. And dude, remember we said, I, I do. I remember saying to you on the phone, I said, we're just gonna have to do career tools. Now we're going to have to start doing an additional cast every week. And it was the absolute right decision for the business. I mean, if you weren't the person that was writing the cast, and at the time I was thinking about being a leader and an owner of the business and what did our customers need and what our customers need was management advice every week. And they also needed career advice for what was going to happen in the next two, three years between 2008 and beyond. And I said, we can't argue that now is the time to do the right thing for our, for our customers, for the marketplace, and to start doing career tools. No question. Only then afterwards, did I, after I said it out loud, did I realize, oh, my God, I'm going to have to write two casts a week. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you could, you could easily say, and there are people out there right now go, oh, his workload just doubled. But it didn't, folks. It didn't. My workload went up, no question. But without that second podcast, my workload on the first podcast would not have gone down. It wouldn't have. I don't believe it would have. Maybe if something else had come in and started crowding it, I would have said, I got to write them in less hours. Okay. And look, I mentioned the five hour savings, right? We're suggesting that if, if your directs can do it in less than five hours or can do it in 45 hours rather than 50, well, of course, we want those five hours back. We want them to do their previous work in 45 hours and we want them to do new work in the other five hours. That's what I, that's where I filled in and did my career tools cast. We want those hours that we've gained, if you will, to be spent on the new work that we're going to ask people to do. And what too many of us mistakenly believe is that whatever work is being done now is the standard. I just said it. I believed it. Okay. But guys, that's silly. 
the work we're doing now was not the standard six months or a year or two years ago when we were doing something different. Something else was the standard back then. But new work came in, new work sort of happened to us, and we adjusted, and now we have a new standard. The one thing you can assume is whatever you're doing now is not the standard, it's what you're working on now. And by definition, since it's different than something that was a year than what you were working on a year ago, there is no standard. The moment you enshrine what you're doing now as the standard, it makes it harder to change it. And of course, if you're an individual contributor, you're thinking, well, of course I enshrine it as the standard. It's my defense against getting laid off. And it's better for me to think of it as the standard. Yes, it's better for you, but it's not better for the organization. The standard is always, if in fact we enshrine work that we're doing now as the standard, then that will always be defended, right? Suppose, for instance, you told your directs, and a safe, Mike and I can safely assume they're all busy, or they'd certainly say that they're all busy, that you wanted to know what work of theirs, no new work in your head, work is going to continue on as normal, but you said, hey, you know what, maybe a year from now, things are going to change, so I'd kind of like to plan for the future, so... Real quick, come up with a list of me of all the work that you're doing that's not important. <laughs> Mike, what, what, what kind of response do you think we'd get? What, what do you think people would say? Well, e- either just complete dumb incomprehension or they, I agree. they would I agree. Okay. violently defend every single piece yeah, of work they exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. In both cases, simple denial, right? Complete denial that what they were doing could even, in fact, be analyzed around what was important and what wasn't important. Literally, by definition, if they're doing it, it is important. Otherwise, they are not important. There you go. Which is really hard for people to get to. Yeah. You need need look no further than the addiction to food, clothing, and shelter that you have and that they have to understand that the fear, their fear of being thought of as delivering work with little value will motivate them to defend what it is they're already doing. The only way to help your directs work on more important work, more important stuff, more important tasks, more important delegations is to, if you'll pardon the expression, force the decision-making process to begin with more work than they think they can do. And that is why and what we're going to delegate when we delegate to them. That's right. And so when they come back to you and say they have too much to do, they have their full plate, what do you ask them to do? What's the first step in terms of this, this delegation? Yeah, say, look, it's okay. First of all, we're going to show respect for their concern because they can't square the circle in this case. All their work is important. They're important. So therefore, my God, new work. I can't yeah, – literally, my head explodes. So to use your example, you try to delegate to somebody and they balk. They pass. They say, I'm too busy. Which, again, hopefully now, if there's one thing that comes out of this cast for the rest of their lives, every manager tools listener knows when to direct, says they're too busy. That is an irrelevant discussion. It is literally like them saying, the sky is purple or the sky is blue or look, a butterfly to your, sta- to your question about whether or not they're willing to take on new work. They might as well be talking about a butterfly. Everyone's always busy. The idea that the sky is blue is relevant to a delegation is unimportant. The idea that someone is busy is irrelevant. Of course, everybody's busy. You give a person one bit of work or 85 pieces of work, all of equal size, they will tell you they're busy because of Parkinson's law. Okay? So 
That said, we want you to intellectually appreciate that what they're saying is complete gobbledygook and nonsense and be smart about your response. No problem is what you say in your head, right? Back away from delegating at that moment and show respect for their concern. Okay? Here's what you'd say. Say, okay, I hear you. End of the feeling. My boss gave me some stuff to do, and I'm looking for some help on the stuff I've been working on before. And frankly, I'm struggling with it a little bit. You've got a concern about workload. I hear you. Let's address the workload issue. So now, in other words, what you're saying is, you don't just get to block me because you're spending 40 plus hours a week at work and you're actually appearing to be busy. Okay, fine. We're going to discuss what it is you're working on. So what you do is you ask them to analyze the work that they're doing based on its value and its priority to the organization, whether it's them or you or the division of the firm, your call, depending upon the individual and about what part of the organization you're in and so on. Okay. Tell them to make a list of everything they're working on and roughly how much time they spend on it. And then to rank it, not by hours, but by value, Mm. their interpretation of the value to the organization. Okay. Now, Look, in my experience, frontline people, it's not more than 20 things. If it is, there are going to be a lot of things that take very few minutes, like, oh, I do this and that and the other thing, and those takes each five minutes a week. They're just trying to fill up their 40 hours. Frankly, those are probably things that wouldn't be missed anyway, but sometimes they are things that would be missed. There's five minutes spent every week on a report that actually somebody reads, although you could probably get away, even if that, per, unless that person's the CEO, I don't know, you could probably get away. If one of your people only spends five minutes on something, they can probably find that five minutes, no matter what new stuff you give them to do. The question is really, it's value rather than how much time it takes. Here's how that might sound. Hey, here's what I'd like you to do. Spend an hour today or even tomorrow if you needed some more time today. Make a list of everything or nearly everything that you're working on. You can look at your calendar or you can look at your piles of work on your desk, whatever, right? Anything you think can help you. I'm not going to wait, though, for a whole week for you to do a time diary of everything you touch in the next week. That's probably overkill. So after you've taken a look at everything you do, I want you to list your work, all of the work that you've done, all the work that you know you're working on, in the order of importance. And next to each item you're working on, put down the amount of time it takes you each week. Now, some of you are already thinking, I can see there's a problem here because some of you are already trying to defend your directs as a way of justifying defending yourself to your boss. But I promise you folks, if you're a manager and you're trying to figure out ways to not have your boss give you something to do, you're screwing yourself. You might win the battle and you will lose that war, my friend. That is not the way to go. Your job generally is to say yes. By the way, I did what you uh, you suggested ah, numerous times. Um, one time, somebody came back to me, and they gave me a list. They had the time they spent on it. And you know what it totaled up to be? 80 hours a week. 80 hours. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, really? yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, oh, I've seen more than that, Mike. I've seen really? 90, 100, 110. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they look at you, and they know that they don't put – by the way, they don't put the 90 at the bottom of the page. They just look at you with these big doe eyes and <laughs> – and let you do the math and say, do you see how I should be getting triple my pay? You just want to go, what, am I stupid all of a sudden? 
Okay. It's laughable. I hadn't planned on Mike doing this, but here's what I would do if Mike worked for me and he showed me a list and I added up all the hours and it came up to 80 hours. You'd shoot me. (laughs) No, 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 no. I would say, okay, Mike, hey, thanks for the list. Let me go down it real quick. Let me take a look. Let me see if we're generally in the same ballpark. Because by the way, guys, you only need to be roughly in the same ballpark. You don't have to agree on every single detail and every single minutes. And you don't want to be in an argument with somebody about how many minutes they spend on any one thing. And I get done and I say, I'd say, Mike, I just added this up. Did you add up all the hours? And you'd say, yeah, I did. I said, well, you didn't put it down here. So I just want to double check. I come up with like 81 hours. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I already already know I'm in trouble, but I'd probably say yes. (laughs) Here's what I think, Mike. Mike, I think you're full of crap. I really do. I know for a fact that you're not working 81 hours a week. I know it. Okay? I, I just know it. You could try to prove me wrong, but you can't. And more importantly, let me say this. I mean, I know enough about the kind of hours you work. You're in here at 8. You go home at 6. That's 10 hours a day. That gets you to 50 every week. Unless you're willing to cop to 30 more hours, which is like either five hours a night, six nights a week, or working 15 hours a day on Saturday and Sunday both to get to 80 Mike, I'm sorry. My concern is your analysis is completely and utterly wrong, false. And I'm not going to say falsified, but it's just wrong. And I'm not going to accept this. And I'll tell you something else. You have no credibility with this kind of analysis saying to me, you're too busy. Because if a person says both, I'm too busy and I work 80 hours a week when I know they don't, I don't believe either statement, which takes away your defense for the issue of you're too busy. Because if you think you're working eight hours a week, you have no clue about how many hours you're working and whether or not you're busy. Because I promise you, Mike, if you were working eight hours a week, I'd figure out a way to get you promoted or get you more money or get you uh, or take away some of your work. And there's no way you're doing it. And then I go home and talk to my wife and say, eh, that didn't go too well. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, if they really think that you weren't going to check or they really think you believe eight hours a week, folks, nobody works 80 hours a week. Maybe two or three people I've met in my entire career work 80 hours a week. Think about that. 80 hours a week is 10 hours a day, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day of the week, and then 15 more hours on Saturday and Sunday both. Or maybe somebody comes in six days, five days a week, and they come in at six in the morning, not counting commute time here, right? Because what they're doing is they're they're figuring out what the hours are and then backing into how much time they spend as a percentage on each thing to get up to some big number so they can impress you with their number. It's total crap. And you can smile while you say it's total crap. I don't believe you. This is the worst analysis I've ever seen because you should have checked, right? There are some people who will do it, but think about it. You'd have to work 12 hours a day, five days a week, which would get you to 60. And then you need 20 more hours, 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. I'm sorry. I think you're smoking crack. Either you did really bad analysis and you literally are willing to submit things to the boss that are not checked for quality and or you think I'm going to believe a lie. That won't happen that often, but when it does, feel free to email me, type out the list and send it to us so we can have a chuckle because it's just a joke. Okay. By the way, a caveat, I know some guys on Wall Street who work eight hours a week, but just not that many. Pretty rare. Pretty rare. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, the point here is that pretty quickly in their list, 
there's going to be a drop off in time spent and hours spent on things and in the value delivered to the organization. It might happen as quickly as 20 hours into the total hours are spending on something. And so the other 20 hours are somewhat fungible. I mean, they could be moved around to some degree if they work 40 hours a week. And we're not suggesting you cut everything off below the line at all. We're only looking for a few more hours to handle like a big delegation, maybe an hour or two or three or four a week, which is not that big a deal. So ask them to do an analysis, expect them to come back with something that's reasonable. If they don't ask them to do it again, if they come back with 80 hours, say, I won't look at anything from you that has more than 50 hours on it until you can prove to me that you're working more than 50 hours. Cause I'm not getting emails from you on Saturday and Sunday. And I can't imagine that you're happy working seven days a week, 10 hours a day. It just doesn't, doesn't pan out. And seven days a week, 10 hours a day, doesn't get you to 80 anyway. And by the way, folks, I'm sure there are plenty of you who think you're working 50. A lot of you aren't, but I wouldn't argue a bit about 50. I start getting concerned about 60 though. I really do. That's 12 hours a day, five days a week, which very few people do. Yeah. I think a lot of people who say 60 include their commute. There you go. Yeah. I was just getting ready to say, you don't get to conclude that. Yeah. If you're working 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and you get to 50 hours in five days, you still need 10 more hours, five hours on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening, and five hours on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And I just don't see it. I know people do email at night. I respect that. But it's not two hours every night. Sorry. It's not. Nope. Okay. So now they've listed these things. There's probably no more than 20. They prioritize them. Now, our point number three, you said ask for a recommendation about what won't get done. And that's kind of yeah. interesting. Ask for, for a recommendation. You didn't say tell, tell you what yeah. won't get done, but ask for a recommendation. Yeah, you can't ask people to tell you to say they're not going to do X or Y or Z because they're too tied to their work. They believe their work is a shield and defensiveness against layoffs and about being perceived as unproductive. So you ask them to create the list, which is really the categorization of their data. And then you ask them to further review the list. You think about it and you ask them, take a look at what's on the list and what you could afford maybe not doing if it were to be replaced by something of either equal or greater value for the firm. That's all you're doing. You're going to take their analysis and ask them to believe in their analysis and make a recommendation, not a decision, but a recommendation about if you needed two or three or four hours of their time, what they would choose not to do. Now, I, I got to tell you, I've done this with people and there have been people who've chosen the first thing on their list. Well, the easiest thing for me to stop doing is this big thing at the top because that's three hours. And that's, if you think you need three hours, I'll just stop doing that. I'm like, did you not put these in order of importance? Yes, but it would be easier for me to stop to not stop doing the 17 other small things that each take 15 minutes, it'd be just as easy to stop doing the one most important thing. I said, I didn't ask for it to be easy. I'm asking you to compare the relative value of these things. I'm not going to ask you to substitute one loaf of bread for another one. I'm going to ask you to substitute a loaf of bread for a whole bunch of individual slices of things that nobody really cares about. It was amazing when I saw that. I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You really want your job to be easy, don't you? I really don't want you on my team right now. But here's how it might sound. You could say this. Once you've got your list, review it, analyze it a bit for me, and come back to me with a recommendation for what work you could not continue doing. In other words, work you could stop doing, assuming a bunch of new higher priority work was coming your way. Think about the time you could save simply not doing some stuff. And that's what I want. A list with recommendations on it of stuff you could set aside. 
it's not important that we agree on everything. You might really believe something's important and I might not or vice versa. That's okay. I'm just looking for you to think about the stuff that you really think doesn't deliver at all value that we could probably just drop and get away with in return for gaining that time back on more important stuff. That's what you do. And some people come back with a perfect list of exactly how many hours they work and a good prioritization list of of top to bottom of most important things with the most amount of time and less important things down at the bottom. And they'll say, you know what, if I got rid of these six things, I don't think anybody would notice and I can get five hours a week back. And you'll say, okay, let's do it. It can be that easy. It can be hard too, but generally it's much easier than it is hard. Okay. Now what about the problem where, you know, they've made recommendations, you've accepted or not accepted it, but we've decided what but I'm no longer going to work on assuming I'm working for you. Now, what happens if I start getting pushback from folks, right? Somebody says, well, why aren't you doing that? What's the deal there? Before that, let's do, let's do something else first, okay? Remember, you make the decision. It's important we ask for a recommendation, but not a decision. Right. I mean, you, meaning the manager makes the decision. Yeah, and we, we make the decision ourselves. That's right. Okay? We're asking for a recommendation for the direct. We're not asking for a decision because if they make a decision, a decision is by definition creates an action associated with it and then they're responsible for it, right? When you make the decision, then you're taking the action usually and that means you're responsible. And by the way, there's a cast for that about the difference between decisions and choices. And we didn't make it up. It was Peter Drucker. We're just making it easy for more people to hear it. So you make the decision because they won't make the decision. If they make the decision, they know they're accepting the risk and they're afraid of that. So they do the analysis because they do the work. They make the recommendation because they did the analysis. And then you make the decision. And we're teaching them decision theory here, right? Gather data, do an analysis, make a recommendation, look at options, and then make a decision. And you're going to withhold the decision for yourself because that's something, a bridge they probably won't want to cross early on in their career. They won't feel as much risk about doing the analysis and making a recommendation. And again, this is how directs who are interview contributors learn how decisions are made. Data gathering, analysis, options, recommendations, decisions, actions, follow-up. That's decision-making. It might sound like this. Ultimately, dude, I'm going to make the decision. If you'll do the analysis and you'll make a recommendation, I'll likely follow your recommendation as long as the analysis and the recommendation make sense to me. And they usually do. You're smart. But this way, because I'm making the decision, I'm responsible. And as you get better and more confident at this kind of stuff, I'll start letting you make the decisions as well. But of course, anything that happens in my organization is my responsibility ultimately anyway, and I'm on the hook for it. And, you know, you might go further and say, what we're really doing here is I'm delegating to you and you're delegating to the floor. What's going to happen is that some of the stuff you used to work on, you're just not going to work on anymore. This is the start of your process of learning how new work replaces old work, all based on the value to the organization and the cost of the organization. And cost in this case comes in the form of our time, which the company pays us for. Pretty simple. So you look at their analysis and their recommendation. Generally, if they've done good analysis and recommendation, you can just follow their recommendation. And then they've got free time to do what it is you want them to be working on. Okay, now we get to the point where... Now the question, somebody yeah. comes to them and asks them, Hey, what, what the heck's going on with this? Right. And you yeah. made a decision. So they're off the hook, right? Yeah. To a degree they are. I want them to feel like they're off the hook. The last stage is that I'm, I made the decision. They stopped working on what, what they recommended on what they analyzed and what they researched, what they analyzed, what they prioritized, what they recommended. I decided. Okay. And they stopped working on it. 
and they work on the new stuff that we've agreed that they're going to work on. And look, when they express concerns, tell them that all questions about what they're working on come to you. If somebody has a question about why they're not working on old factor X, if somebody is questioning why something that used to get done is not getting done, they tell them, tell that person, come talk to you. Now, look, if you expect your directs to do the analysis and make the decision and deal with the consequences all at once, learning by trial by fire, they're not going to do what you ask, folks. They're going to hide some work and or they're going to try to get everything done, which is a complete contravention of the whole purpose of this effort of only working on things that deliver the most value while not adding hundreds of hours of work to everybody's schedule every week. So you essentially let them off the hook by saying, anybody gives you any trouble, send them to me. And I promise you when you do that, they'll be like, oh, okay. So you're on the hook for it. Yep, it's me. And by the way, it's really effective to tell your directs when your directs act as if it's a big deal that you're on the hook. You say, yeah, I'm good with it. No problem. Yeah. That shows them you're a professional. It shows them you're a leader, that you're willing to take responsibility for what you're, what you're supposed to take responsible for, responsibility for. Pretty easy. Yeah, okay. Well, let's be honest, though. It's easy to take that risk because <laughs> yeah. nobody Aww. ever asks questions. A, you never get in you're trouble. You're going to my fun, aren't you? Yeah, it's easy. It's totally, right? And look, some of you are thinking, aha. This is where the risk starts. And, and theoretically, you're right. Maybe somebody will be mad that we didn't do the work. But what we found is at the individual contributor level, in the vast majority of organizations we work with, is that the theory doesn't hold up to reality. Yeah, it could happen that somebody gets upset and wants something that has stopped getting done to get done. But we haven't seen it. In 20 years of recommending this manager tool, We've only had two instances where somebody came back and wa asked why something wasn't getting done. Two. <laughs> two. <laughs> okay. In one case, it had been several months, and the director said, you know, frankly, boss, this guy's complaining about this. I've actually been pretty successful with figuring out my workload, and I can probably pick that one back up, and he did. I mean, you know, it had been enough, long enough that those of you who know the juggling koan, the size of all the balls in the box are always shrinking ever so slightly, and there's always room to do more over time. Of course, the balls automatically inflate themselves immediately like, like puffer fish when, when the boss says, hey, I have more work for you to do. But anyway. <laughs> puffer fish. <laughs> yeah. In the other case, the second case, the manager said, to the guy who was asking this peer manager of his, who was saying, why am I not getting this thing I want? He says, hey, look, I looked at what they were doing and I figured out that what you're wanting really doesn't make as much sense as the other stuff we're doing. My direct didn't do this unilaterally. We looked at it and this is the right solution. They made a recommendation and I agreed to it. It was my decision. And the questioner went away. I said, okay, I'll figure out something else. The fact is, this is not as big a risk as you might think. The real risk the strategic risk, the systemic risk that you're avoiding is the risk in not doing it and not growing the capabilities of your team and not being willing to change their abilities and keep them current with what the organization needs simply because they say they're busy, which as you learned at the start of the cast, at the top of the show, being busy is not the same thing as not being able to do more work. That's right. That's it, partner. You got to learn that the answer is not to not delegate. Ask your director to prioritize. Ask them for a recommendation. Teach them the process of how analysis turns into prioritization, turns into recommendations, which ultimately becomes your decision. 
and then tell them you're taking responsibility and all questions come to you. And the fact is you're not going to get many questions. The work you're not going to do is probably still more valuable than some of the lowest priority work of your directs. The work that you as a manager are going to push down is still going to be more valuable than the stuff that they choose they're able not to do because you're forcing it out and having them delegate to the floor that your directs are going to resist a little bit. Your job is to help them see how decisions are made, analysis, recommendations, decisions, follow through, and so on. And that way, when they're managers, they'll know how to look at their own workloads and decide what they're going to delegate and how to help their directs learn how to accept delegations and how to delegate to the floor as well. There you go. Folks, this is how organizations grow. Yep. This is, this is it. Without hiring more people. There you go. All right, my friend. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, check out the discussion forums, www.manager-tools.com forward slash forums. Hope to see you there. So long.